The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. So uh, I invite you now to join with me in uh, the scriptures as we open together to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Come with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. You'll find that on page 553. It's in the uh, Old Testament. If you need a Purack Bible, grab one and follow with me because you will want to see what the preacher says to us this morning. Now, listen, on cold days, I understand that everybody appreciates getting warmed up, right? We're going to warm up the car before we get in it and all the rest. Uh, uh, I remember uh, sometimes being a young kid, you throw your clothes in the dryer and warm them up on really cold days before you put them on and go to school, right? Uh, I understand that people want to be warmed up uh, beforehand, but we're going to get right to it this morning in Ecclesiastes. What we find in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 this morning is the preacher's continued attempt to figure out life. And aren't you trying to do the same thing? To figure out life. And as the preacher attempts to figure life out, he is asking the question, look, what is it for? What does life amount to? What is it really about? And if you peek back in chapter 1, verse 3, the main question of the book of Ecclesiastes The question that this book is constantly trying to answer is, chapter 1, verse 3, what is it that man gains by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Meaning, what does it all add up to? Life itself. Life under the sun, what's it for? Last week, we saw that the preacher would attempt to use his mind and the instrument of human wisdom to figure life out. We saw that back in chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13, as the preacher says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. And it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And so trying to figure out life by the instrument of his own wisdom left him frustrated, vexed, concluding in verse 14 of chapter 1, that this life is all vanity and a striving after the wind. So if wisdom, human wisdom, cannot get to the bottom of the purpose, the purpose and point of all of life, well, what else is there that we can use as an instrument to figure life out? So it's time for another approach. And that's where we are this morning. It's time for another test. Time for another way to try to figure out life. So if you're Got your Bible open, we will see where the preacher leads next. But first, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the Scriptures. Well, Lord God, we turn now to Your Word, believing that here You speak to us, that as this Word is inspired by Your Holy Spirit, so also that same Holy Spirit comes upon us as we read and hear the Word. And we pray now, Lord, that Your Spirit would rest upon us to give us understanding, to give us application and Lord where it's quite necessary to bring the conviction that what the preacher says here is true and so Lord come now to us your people and bless your word we ask in the strong name of Jesus amen Ecclesiastes 2 we are going to read through verse 11 Ecclesiastes 2 verse 1 The vanity of self-indulgence. This is the Word of God. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. 
But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I search with my heart to how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, and delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever, so may he write eternal truth on our hearts. And do keep your Bible open, because we want to go with the preacher on his journey. As I said, it's time for the preacher to take another approach. Keep in mind what the book of Ecclesiastes is, is the preacher who is gathering a congregation and leading them down various pathways to cause them to realize that there is only one pathway that leads to life and happiness. But along the way, there are lots of options. There might be only one pathway that ultimately leads to happiness and life, but there are many roads one could walk down if they were to choose. And the preacher, especially in the first couple chapters of Ecclesiastes, says, let's journey down those roads. Come with me and let's go and let's see what's at the end of them because they're all dead ends. Nevertheless, lots of people travel on dead end roads. Lots of people are willing to spend their whole life, in fact, walking on dead-end roads. So, where wisdom didn't lead to the ultimate fulfillment and explanation of all of life, this second test is the test of pleasure. Can I make sense of the futility of life through pleasure? And so, chapter 2 is the preacher's experiment the testing of his heart with pleasure. He is here choosing to make his own personal happiness and pleasure his chief end in life. And along the way, he's going to test these various pleasures. He's going to go to them. He's going to spend time with them, invest in them, and observe what his life becomes as a result of giving himself over to these various pleasures, seeing how does my heart respond. It is essentially the question that people ask, is there anything in the world that can truly satisfy the rambling heart of human beings? 
Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe you can identify with it now, or maybe you can identify with it at other various stages of your life. This type of uncertain searching that's constantly saying, it's not enough and I need more and I want an answer. I want to make sense of these things. Again, maybe you can identify with that or in a different stage of your life, or perhaps you know other people who definitely view life this way. This constant monotony of a lack of purpose, trying to figure out what is this for? Well, come along and find out, the preacher says. Come with me and find out what we can make of the purpose of life if we make pleasure our purpose. Also known as hedonism the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate goal now it just so happens that somebody whose name is going to be very much in our minds likely today uh, has something to say about this go figure it's Tom Brady Tom Brady after winning his third Super Bowl right now he's won six and this will be his tenth appearance but after his third win he was interviewed by 60 Minutes and 60 Minutes said, look, what, I mean, what do you make of all of this, right? And where are you going to go? Where are you going to go with all these successes that you've had? Tom Brady said, why is it that I have three Super Bowl rings and I still think that there's something more for me? Well, at that time, there was another three. But in this interview, he moves from, you know, famed athlete to rising philosopher when he says, I think a lot of people think of their life, I reach my goal, I reach my dream, but me, I think there's got to be more, and this life isn't all it's cracked up to be, so what else is there? Tom Brady asking, what else is there? And the interviewer turned around and said to him, well, what do you think the answer is? And he said, I have no idea. I have no idea. I wish I knew is what he said. I wish I knew. Well, Six Super Bowl rings is great, and ten Super Bowl appearances is likely never going to be surpassed in all of football history. But is that a satisfying answer to the purpose of life? I don't think so. Well, the preacher says, let's chase it. Let's try and figure it out. The immediate conclusion that he reaches, and the book of Ecclesiastes constantly does this, where it presents a potential test, gives an immediate conclusion, and then explains why it's that conclusion. The preacher says, okay, let's try to make sense of our life by way of pleasure, by way of giving our hearts everything that we want. The immediate conclusion comes in chapter 2, verse 1, and it's this. Behold, this also was vanity. The preacher's favorite word, vanity. Uh, passing, fading, like mist, like your breath on a cold day, it comes out and it goes away. The pursuit of the meaning of life by pleasure is vanity. And here's why the preacher then takes us down this road. Because pleasure seems to hold out such great promise for the meaning of life, but it doesn't last. And some people say, that's not true. I fill my life with all kinds of pleasure and I've got a great life. This is the preacher's tactic here. He says, you think that you've had pleasure with your life? You think that the pursuit of pleasure in your life is going to give you the ultimate meaning in your life? Let me tell you about the pleasure that I've had with my life, and it's far surpassing anything that you could ever think of. 
The preacher's description of his life here is not someone who goes searching for satisfaction and can't find any, but rather someone whose life was absolutely overflowing with earthly satisfaction, but at the end of the day comes to the conclusion that still his life under the sun gets no additional meaning from all the pleasure. So what you have in this text is a survey of the basic amusements of human life. No matter who you are, there's a something in this list for you. It's the same old pleasures, the same old amusements of earthly life. It reminds me of my grandfather's study in which he had a closet in which there was a box and in that box was the same toys and games that were in there my whole life. And every time we go to visit, we pull the same box out with the same toys. Well, Solomon, pictured as Solomon, the preacher says, let's take out that box of those same old amusements of human life and let's see, are they really worth it? The same pleasures generation after generation. And you see what they are. We'll just hit them very quickly. First of all, in verse 2, Laughter. Jokes, right? Making light of life. You know people who are maybe so sarcastic or so not serious that they just make a joke about everything? Right? They can't take anything seriously. Proverbs 14, 13 says, even in laughter, the heart may ache. Right? People who are oftentimes the, the most jovial, the most joke-making, are oftentimes perhaps the saddest, actually, Ecclesiastes tells us that laughter can't save us. Laughter, comedy, needs a savior. Do you remember Robin Williams? 2014? Shocked so many people. Who could think that a guy like that? Jokes are not the fulfillment and purpose of life. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it's mad. He goes on down the list. You come to verse 3, and he tries his hand at alcohol, doesn't he? Verse 3, I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Now, his description here of using wine is not some sort of rip-roaring drunkenness because he says, my heart was still guiding me with wisdom, but he's talking about, just generally speaking, a, a general numbing about life. Is meaning found at the bottom of this bottle? Is what he's asking. He goes on in verses 4 through 6 to speak of many different things. The pleasures of products and projects, the building of houses, the planting of vineyards, gardens and parks and fruit trees and ponds, right? This is, this is projects and fulfillment to, to the ultimate degree, right? Not just little tinkering, but grand creations, the preacher says. And notice how many times in verses 4 through 6 the preacher says why he's doing it. He's doing it for himself, for myself, for myself. I did this for myself. I made great works, verse 4. I built houses and planted vineyards. Why? For myself. Verse 5, I made myself gardens and parks. Verse 6, I made myself pools. Self-centeredness in the, in, the, in the consummation of products and projects. And then you get into verses 7 through 8. You get into money and possessions. 
gathering together all sorts of objects and in this context people to own inside of my house I had great possessions verse 8 gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings is it interesting that we are in the West in the modern age the wealthiest and most privileged of people and likely the most unhappiest especially compared to people who have relatively nothing compared to what we have if you've ever traveled outside the United States perhaps and recognize that someone can be totally content with very very little and we have so much and are so discontent the preacher speaks of jokes and alcohol and pleasures and products and projects and money and possessions and servants and music and sex gathering and gathering not holding his heart back from anything and what's it all for he gets to the summary in verse 9 So he says, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. He effectively says, I have denied myself nothing. I wanted it all, I had it all, and he effectively says to every single person, right, who hears his words, you will never be able to have the kind of fun that I had because you will never have the resources that I had. But let me tell you what's at the end of it. Verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it, And just as he said in verse 1, he confirms it again. It's all vanity. It's all just striving after wind. There's nothing to be gained under the sun. So isn't it possible then that the more you fill up, the emptier you might feel? With still nothing gained, the conclusion here is that pleasure for pleasure's sake can never satisfy the soul. And what's more... You can accumulate as much as you want. Jesus confirms this too, doesn't he? You can accumulate as much as you want, but at the end of the day, you're going to die. And death is therefore the trump card over all the pursuits of your pleasures. And it doesn't mean that these things can't be enjoyable. They certainly are, but they are often filled with unfulfilled expectations, diminishing returns, and unintended consequences. And for all the pleasures that you amass, we cannot keep the ticking time away. Ecclesiastes. So what do we do with that? What will we do with that? I I think we should ask three questions of this. I admit that we're taking somewhat of a 30,000-foot view of what the preacher is saying here, but as we look at his conclusion, let's ask three questions. The first question is, in light of this, how do you feel about his conclusion? What do you think? And I hope you understand what the preacher wants to lead you to. He wants you to feel sad about this. He wants you to feel sad because he wants you to see how far we have come as a human race, meaning how far we have fallen, how far east of Eden we have traveled because there was a time when it was enough for man 
to be in fellowship with God and be content. There was a time. It didn't last long, but there was a time for man and woman to enjoy the good gifts that God gave to them and be content. But now, now we are surrounded with opportunities to laugh and drink and work and make money, but none of it's enough. We're not satisfied, and death removes it all. And if we are able to find lasting satisfaction in earthly pleasures, it would mean that we don't need God. And the reason why God has designed these earthly pleasures to leave us feeling empty at the end of the day is to communicate the fact that they will not fulfill our deepest need. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes is in the Bible. It takes this very roundabout way of saying, look, this is a reality about life that you just need to understand. Your earthly pleasures will not satisfy you ultimately. That doesn't mean they won't satisfy you in some sense. In fact, later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, he'll address that very thing. It's not wrong to enjoy life. But it is wrong to make pleasure the ultimate pursuit of your life. And for those people who have made that decision to make their own enjoyment, their own satisfaction, their own entertainment, their own pleasure, the ultimate source of satisfaction in their life, they will never be content. Ever. So the first question is, how does it make us feel? And it should make us feel sad. The second question I think we should ask at this conclusion is, okay, if pleasure is not the purpose of life, what about the opposite, right? Because the preacher seems to say here, pleasure in and of itself is wrong. So that must mean asceticism is the right answer. What is asceticism? Asceticism is the bareness of life, the removal of pleasure from life, the avoidance of all pleasure. Is asceticism the answer if pleasure is not? If the preacher says that it's wrong this way, then it must mean that asceticism is right. The answer to that is no, no. The things that he lists here are not wrong in and of themselves. For example, they are good gifts in their proper context. For example, the Bible does not teach that the consumption of alcohol is evil and sinful. But its abuse is. That it is possible to use God's good gifts in a wrong way. The Bible does not teach that sex is wrong. It teaches that sex outside the confines of covenant marriage between a man and a woman is unnatural and unhelpful and harmful. The Bible doesn't say it's sinful to have possessions in a bank account. But if your stuff and your money becomes your God, then you've got a big problem. The answer is not asceticism. The answer is not don't enjoy life. The answer is not don't look at the good things that God has given us to enjoy and then conclude that they are not good and throw them away. No. The answer is to enjoy the gifts that God has given primarily by not elevating them to a level that we worship them. It is important in the Christian life to be able to distinguish the gift from the giver. When you make the gift the ultimate thing, then you've created an idol and you're worshiping that Thing. You will be expecting it to provide ultimate satisfaction for you. And God has designed earthly pleasures to be good, but never ultimate. So asceticism isn't the answer. So then, what do we do? What is the Bible's solution to the seeming emptiness of pleasure-seeking 
Because you are designed to seek pleasure, to seek satisfaction, to seek goodness. You were designed by God to do that. It's not inherently wrong. So here's what we do with it. The Bible's answer to the pursuit of pleasure is to find ultimate fulfillment of our pleasure in God himself. To find our ultimate pleasure in God himself. The only pleasure that can ultimately fulfill us is in the pleasures of God himself. The problem with the pursuit of pleasure is not pleasure in and of itself, but the expectation of earthly things to satisfy us ultimately as a substitute for God. And it will not work. And it will make you miserable. But God does want you, if we can say it this way, to be happy, to experience the pleasures of life and the joys of His common grace that He has given to humanity, but to enjoy it in its proper context. But the problem is, is that we take His good gifts and try to make it ultimate things. Listen to the way C.S. Lewis explains this in his always creative way. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Chronicles of Narnia, he says it this way, It seems to me that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. We are like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine that God has offered us a vacation by the sea. We are far too easily pleased so says C.S. Lewis, or it would be like scrounging around on the floor, picking up crumbs and scraps, not realizing that if you would just lift your head, there's a seat at a banquet table that God has prepared for you. When we find our ultimate satisfaction in earthly pleasures, it is scrounging around in the crumbs, not realizing that God has designed us for so much more. And so the Christian answer to this problem, the Christian solution to the fact that we were created to seek pleasure is the pursuit of pleasure in God Himself. Not the renouncing of all pleasure, but the seeking and finding of pleasure in the goodness of God and of His kingdom. Here's why this matters so much. You know why? Because an unbelieving world thinks that the Christian mission is to make your life as miserable as possible. Right? People look at the Christian faith and they say, that sounds boring. I don't want anything to do with it because I want to have my fun. Not realizing that that's not the proper understanding of the Christian life at all. But they hear Jesus say things like, die to yourself, deny yourself, take up your cross, be a living sacrifice, and they just conclude, that doesn't sound like any fun at all. But the reason why we have to die to ourselves, the reason why we have to take up our cross, the reason why we can't find our ultimate purpose of life in these earthly pleasures is because we are the ones who created this mess in the first place and we're not going to fix it by our own doings. That's why Jesus says, if you come to me, you'll find new life and I'll tell you how to make sense of this life. I'll give you a vision for life that's greater than just life under the sun. I'll give you a view of life that has heaven in mind. I'll help you make sense of this disordered world and give you abundant life, real, true, and lasting happiness, joy, and actual pleasure. 
not this fading and fleeting pleasure that you're so content to seek. I don't know, I don't know where you find yourself on the preacher's journey in terms of expectation and pursuits. But if you're running headlong trying to find ultimate satisfaction in something that the preacher is here suggesting, hear me very clearly, it won't work. Stop. Stop. And instead, hear the gracious invitation of Jesus to give you abundant life and real happiness. Lasting pleasure. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and we thank You for its clarity. We pray now that, that You would lead us by Your Spirit as it searches our hearts and convicts us and leads us to be a people of sincere faith and trust and love that we might find in Jesus Christ the fullness of joy. Lord, we thank You for the common grace of earthly pleasures. We praise You for giving them to us and we ask, Lord, that You would give us the wisdom to use them properly, but never with ultimate expectation. And so, Lord, may our ultimate joy be in You and in You alone. And we thank You that You lead us in that way. We praise You for Your grace and goodness toward us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit EdgingtonEPC.org. May God bless and keep you.